Well, greetings and welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mullett. You can visit our website at logicalbelief.org. You can watch these podcasts on YouTube. You can search for and subscribe to the channel there. You can also find us on iTunes. Uh, Just search for Logical Belief from your favorite podcast catcher, both on the Android and the iPhone. Um, I have had some reports of some issues with searching for the podcast from an Android Just make sure that you check to search the iTunes database when searching for the podcast. So if you want to see previous episodes, uh, you can just go to the website and click on the top menu there at the far right where it says podcast. Uh, Just click on see previous episodes and you can uh, see both the video and the audio there from the previous episodes. If you uh, have a message that you want to send me, uh, a comment, a word of encouragement or a question, uh, you can send all those to jason at logicalbelief.org. All righty. <clears throat> well, uh, today uh, we did have uh, on the docket to continue our series on the uh, Anabaptist. However, that has been postponed another week, and we'll probably shoot the last two episodes for that particular series Um next weekend and so we'll just release them successively there then um have been having some technical difficulties this morning Uh, my usb hub died i think that's what happened and so we're kind of limping along here with uh some limited equipment so uh, we should be able to get through this uh so what i wanted to talk about today was in in my research and and study of the Anabaptists, I came across um, an Anabaptist website which made a comment that kind of piqued my interest. Uh, The comment was is that much of modern Christianity simply assumes the validity of the five solas of the Reformation. They just assume them to be true without justifying them. That's actually what an Anabaptist actually said on a blog. And I would wholeheartedly disagree with that statement that we as Protestants simply assume uh, the validity of the five solas and that we don't have a justification for them. But I would say that that is those of us that are Protestants of conviction. Um, Most of modern-day evangelical Protestantism uh, would probably give lip service to the five solas. Um, However, I don't think that much of modern-day Christianity could justify the five solas from Scripture. And when you actually examine their own theology, uh, they would not actually hold to the five solas themselves. And so I want to kind of go through that. I want to talk about the five solas, their importance. Are they still important for us today? Uh, Look at their scriptural background and some of their historical background. And uh, we'll go from there. So, but before we get started, let's uh, have a few, let's hear a few words from Striving for Eternity Ministries. Ohio Fire is coming to Columbus, Ohio, April 8th and 9th. Hosted by Striving for Eternity Ministries, Ohio Fire will encourage and train Christians to mature in their faith and share the gospel with the lost. Hear Phil Johnson and Dr. Thomas White on the topic, the Word of God. And after the conference, you'll have a chance to hit the streets of Columbus with trained team leaders. Ohio Fire, April 8th and 9th, 
For details and to register, go to ohiofire.org. Alrighty. Well, before I forget and before I jump into the episode today, I did want to bring up that I have had two atheists uh, contact me that they want to do Google Hangouts uh, or they want to come on my podcast. So uh, I'll be doing that sometime in the next several months. We'll probably have uh, uh, two atheists uh, come on. I'm not going to give their names right now. Uh, We'll leave that for when uh, the episode actually gets scheduled. I also had a an individual uh, make some comments on my blog uh, in reference to Calvinism, and he uh, made several statements that um, that while he he thinks that uh, we are sincere as Calvinists uh, uh, in trying to show that Calvinism is scriptural, he thinks that Calvinism is sincerely wrong. And he also made the statement that um, my the article that I've written on is faith a gift from God does not lend itself, is what he said, to Calvinism. So I asked him to come on the show and defend his assertions, and he has said that he will do that. So, or at least he's interested in doing that. So we'll see if we can get that worked out. Uh, we'll either do that via a Skype into the podcast or we'll just do a Google Hangout on that. So be expecting those things to be coming in the future, um, hang out with some atheists and with uh, with somebody who thinks that Calvinism is not biblical. So we'll have a nice, friendly discussion on those topics. So today uh, we, as I mentioned, are going to be talking about the five solas. Um the term sola is a Latin term, uh, which means alone or by itself. And the five solas, as many of you guys have noticed, I I have the five solas here, and my head is currently blocking the five solas, but I do have the five solas here on the wall behind me. And um, I believe that these are fundamental doctrines and fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith. And the five solas are sola fide, uh, sola gratia, solas Christus, uh, sola scriptura, and solo deo gloria. And those are their Latin terms. Um, but uh, in English, they're grace alone, which is sola gratia, uh, faith alone, sola fide, uh, Christ alone, solas Christus, and uh, sola scriptura which is scriptures alone and solo deo gloria, the glory of God alone. So these were the heart cries of the reformers during the time of the Reformation, and it put them at odds with the Roman Catholic Church, who denied, in fact, all five of these solas. And we'll go into some of that. But um, the material, the basic sola, which was um, the heart cry of the Protestant Reformation was sola fide, faith alone, justification by faith alone. And as I go through these different solas, um, 
what I what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be talking a little bit about modern, postmodern, uh, evangelical Protestantism today, and how much of it actually denies um, denies these solas, and they'll maybe affirm parts of them, but they are not affirming them as the Protestant reformers did did during the time of the Reformation. Um, <clears throat> the sola of faith alone um, is that we are, are justified and have peace with God um, based on our faith alone in the work of Christ alone. Uh, these solas all mesh together and they um, join together one fundamental belief system. We believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. So let's go, since uh, the challenge was made by uh, a particular Anabaptist blogger that we as Protestants simply assume the validity of these solas and we don't have scriptural justification for them. I want to go into the scriptural justification beginning with sola fide, faith alone. So we see that faith alone is already has scriptural backing all the way back in the book of Genesis. And the text that I'm going to read here is one that the Apostle Paul and even James uh, appeals to when discussing the doctrine of justification by faith. In Genesis 15, verse 6, it is recorded that Abraham, uh, it says here in Genesis 15, 6, it says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Paul's entire argument in the book of Galatians and in the book of Romans is that even before uh, circumcision and before the law of Moses, Abraham was counted as righteous by faith alone. In Galatians 3, verse 6, beginning at verse 6, I'll be reading down to verse 11. Paul quotes this text in Genesis 15, 6, and it says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith that are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And, <clears throat> which is another quote from the Old Testament. And so, we can see here, Paul's argument here is, is that we are not justified by works of the law. By the works of the law shall no man be justified in his sight. No man can be justified by God by obeying the works of the law. You're either in two camps. Either you're in the camp, uh, you're in the covenant of works, where 
in order to uh, achieve peace with God is by perfectly adhering to God's law. If you've ever looked at the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, if you've ever kept just the Ten Commandments themselves, uh, then you can have peace with God. You can be justified before God, but no one has accomplished that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, by the works of the law, none of us can be justified. We can only be justified by faith alone in the works of Christ alone, according to the Scripture alone. So this was the heart cry of the Reformers. In Romans chapter 1, verse beginning at verse 16, this was the, the text of Scripture, and I have written in my Bible, I just have Martin Luther written by this text of Scripture, because in Romans 1, uh, especially verse 17, it, um, <clears throat> this is where Luther had his tower experience, where he said, suddenly the, the light of the gospel shone in his heart, and he understood how we can have the righteousness of God. <clears throat> beginning Romans uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 16, Paul writes here, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And it was this text of scripture <clears throat> that caused Martin Luther to, um, um, as he puts it, to be born again. Uh, I'll go ahead and read Martin Luther's own words right here. Martin Luther said, I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the justice of God, because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation was that, although an impeccable friar, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would appease him. Therefore, I did not, just, I, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated him and murmured against him. Yet I clung to dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. <clears throat> Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and that statement, that the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. This immediately made me feel as if I had been born again and had entered paradise through Newly opened doors, the whole of Scripture took on a new meaning, and it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love, so that the passage of Paul became to me a gate of heaven. If you have a true faith that Christ is your Savior, then at once you have a gracious God, for faith leads you in and opens up God's heart and will that you you should see the pure grace and overflowing love. This is to behold God in faith, that you should look upon his fatherly, friendly heart, in which there is no anger no, nor ungraciousness. He who sees God as angry does not see him rightly, but looks only on a curtain 
as if a dark cloud had been drawn across his faith. <coughs> so, it was Martin Luther's experience and his um, nailing of the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg Church door in October 31st of 1517 that sprung the Protestant Reformation. And, and Martin Luther's own experience here in the Book of Romans that um, catapulted the Protestant Reformation and the cry of sola fide, that we are justified by faith alone. And this put, this put the Protestant Reformers in opposition with the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church who taught that um, we were justified by faith plus works, a sacramental, sacerdotal system um, that we had to be a part of in order to um, increase the infused grace of God um, in our lives, which was um, <coughs> infused to us at the moment of infant baptism. That was the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, and that that grace would grow as we involved ourselves in the means of grace, uh, the sacramental system of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, this system is entirely devoid of any testimony in Scripture. That particular system is not in Scripture at all. But justification by faith alone um, is all over Scripture. Uh, let's read Romans chapter 3, verses 21 <coughs> down to uh, verse 31. It says, But now the righteousness of God, once again, that's that statement that really confounded Luther, the righteousness of God. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Or is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So what Paul is here is he's making the distinction here, um, once again, as he did in the book of Galatians, between uh, being justified by the works of the law does not destroy the law. No, in fact, we uphold the law, but we do so through faith. And we are justified by that faith uh, alone in the work of Christ. Now, the difference between modern-day uh, Protestantism, postmodern Protestantism, um, and the Reformers at the time of the Reformation, there is a difference between the faith. So many modern-day Protestants will say that they believe in sola fide, but they believe in a man-made fide, 
not a faith that is the work of God. John six twenty nine. It is the work of God that you believe. And in Philippians one twenty nine, not only has it um, been granted you to uh, believe on His name, but also to suffer for His sake. So it has been granted to us to believe. In Second Timothy two. Uh, 25 it tells us that f- that repentance has been granted to us by God so the Protestant reformers when they referred to sola fide they were talking about a faith that God grants to his elect by which they are then justified before God and so it is a God-given faith faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit given by God that God gives to us uh, through the process of regeneration uh, by which we believe and we trust in him, and that is the faith by which we are justified. Now, modern-day Christianity holds to as a man-generated faith is how we are justified before God. And so there is a difference between uh, many that say that they hold to sola fide, do not hold to the biblical doctrine of sola fide, and also the doctrine of faith alone that was held to by the Protestant reformers in Romans chapter 4 verse 1 it says what then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh for if Abraham was justified by works he has something to boast about but not before God for what does the scripture say Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness another quote there from Genesis uh, 15 verse 6 now to the one who works his wages are not counted as a gift but his due And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David, who also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And so the Catholic Church opposed this doctrine of sola fide and it came out in the council of trent in canon 9 and 24 i'm going to go ahead and read those in canon 9 of the council of trent this is uh, uh the roman catholic um council uh, where they opposed the the protestant reformation and its doctrines which were in opposition to the teachings of the roman catholic church in canon 9 of the council of trent it says if anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification that is not in any way necessary than he that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will let him be anathema now here's the thing most modern day evangelical protestants actually believe what the Roman Catholic Church teaches in Canon 9. They believe that our faith is a movement of our own will, and it's in cooperation with the will of God. This is pure synergism. And so stop calling yourself a Protestant if that's what you believe. If if you don't believe in sola fide, as the Protestant reformers believed it, as a gift from God, that was a monergistic work of God, and you believe instead it's a cooperation between God and man, then you're on the Catholic side of this argument. Call yourself a Catholic. Call yourself an Anabaptist. Don't call yourself a Protestant. Um, in Canon 24 of 
the Council of Trent, it says, If anyone saith that justice, that the justice received is not preserved and also increased before God through good works, but that the said works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not a cause of the increase thereof, let him be anathema. Notice right here that the Roman Catholic Church is categorically stating that our justification is increased before God through good works. Um, instead of the biblical declaration of Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Our, that peace doesn't increase. We actually have and possess peace with God. We have eternal life. We have peace with our Creator. Now, a common objection um, <laughs> that's often given by um, anti-Protestants is uh, by Roman Catholics, and I've heard Anabaptists quote this text, um, and they'll say that, well, Scripture explicitly denies faith alone, and they'll go to James chapter 1, or I'm sorry, chapter 2, and they'll quote uh, several verses in this chapter. I'm just going to go ahead and read the entire uh, section here, verse 14 to 26, and we'll examine it and see what it's actually saying here um, in opposition to what we were just looking at with justification by faith before God in Paul's epistles. So in James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can that faith save him? So that's the question that James is asking here. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food and daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. If you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless was not Abraham our father justified by works when he was offered up his son Isaac on the altar you see that faith was active along with his works that and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone now that's the <laughs> That's the particular text that Roman Catholics and Anabaptists and anti-Protestants will quote, verse 24, and they'll say, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So they're saying that the Scripture categorically denies the Protestant doctrine of sola fide. And in the same way, beginning, uh, continuing on in verse 25, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messenger, messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so all that James is actually doing in this passage is he's describing a living faith given by God in contrast to a dead faith, which does not result in any sort of change in the life of the individual who claims it, which um, I would categorize as James' argument against easy believism, which is something that I argue against as a Protestant. Uh, the other thing that we have to note in this passage <clears throat> is James is not talking about our justification before God. He's talking about us demonstrating and showing our faith to each other. We 
as Christians and as human beings cannot examine the hearts of other Christians. Only God can do that. Only God sees the heart. God knows a genuine faith from a false faith uh, because he gives that faith and he's also the one who is the cause of the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. <clears throat> but what James is saying here is he's saying you have faith in verse 18 you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. He's, he's saying, demonstrate to me your faith without works. Is, is that possible? Can we demonstrate our faith apart from our works? No, we can't. The only way we can demonstrate our faith before others is by our works and our actions. Uh, this is why Jesus said... Um, said that by their fruits you will know them. We will know people by the fruits that their lives produce because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And so the a genuine faith will produce works and that's all that James is saying. James is saying that we justify our God-given genuine faith by our actions and our works before men, but not before God. We do not justify ourselves before God by any works. This is justifying a genuine living faith in contrast to a dead faith before men. And if you notice here, James actually affirms uh, Genesis fifteen six in the same way that Paul does. He quotes, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So James is not disputing Genesis fifteen six, in fact, he's just saying that Abraham justified his faith that he had that God counted to him as righteousness by his obedience to offering up his son Isaac on the altar. We can see by that action of Abraham that his faith was genuine, and that is the argument that James is making. He is not arguing against justification by faith alone before God. Um, the next uh, sola that I want to talk about is sola scriptura. Uh, sola scriptura is the cry of the reformers that scripture alone is the infallible rule of faith for the Church of Christ and not sacred tradition and um, and the magisterial system of the Roman Catholic Church. This is in opposition to the Roman Catholic doctrine that I would call sola ecclesia. Um, I think it's a term I've heard James White use. Um, and the reason we would say sola ecclesia or, or the Roman Catholic Church alone uh, that is their doctrine as in opposition to Sola Scriptura because the Roman Catholic Church claims, makes the claim that they hold Scripture and holy tradition um, at the same level of authority. The problem is, is their tradition trumps Scripture all the time. So that means that they do not hold sacred tradition and sacred Scripture at the same level. They, in fact, subservient Scripture to their tradition, and they determine, based upon the magisterial system of the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope, and so forth, 
uh, makes the determination about what traditions and scripture are put in place. They interpret the scripture. Um, they themselves claim to be infallible, which is a, a absolutely joke of a doctrine because um, any time that they say anything that is fallible, that's obviously fallible and contradictory to previous popes, they'll just say, well, this, the pope wasn't speaking <laughs> infallibly then. He wasn't speaking ex cathedra. So it's a completely meaningless uh, doctrine because anytime they say anything wrong, well, they just weren't speaking infallibly. They just weren't speaking ex cathedra then. Well, then how does that give you any sort of a foundation? Uh, it doesn't give you any sort of confidence uh, that they, they are speaking truth because, well, maybe you'll find out, you know, several years later that he wasn't really speaking ex cathedra then, uh, that he was uh, not infallible at that moment. So uh, let's go through some scripture um, for sola scriptura. It says in Psalm uh, 119, verse 18, it says, Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. I love Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and the right and righteous altogether. Much to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So for those that don't believe in the doctrine of sola scriptura, tell me what else is available to us that is perfect. Here it says the law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. And the rules of the Lord are true. And it says by them your servant is warned and in keeping them there is great reward. So name me one thing outside of scripture that does this for us. There is nothing. And that's why we hold to the doctrine of sola scriptura. We hold that scripture alone is that which is God-breathed. And we'll quote here 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17. It says, But as for you, this is Paul writing to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and held firmly, and have firmly believed, knowing for whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out. This is the Greek word theunustas. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, name me one other thing that is breathed out by God. That we can count on and that we can use which is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness that thoroughly equips us. It makes us complete. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So notice what what is it that makes us complete as a man of God, thoroughly equipped for every good work? It's Scripture alone. It is Scripture that accomplishes this, not sacred tradition, not um, the magisterial system, uh, of a church and this applies to any church not just the Roman Catholic Church if you are part of any particular church organization that that the um, 
the leaders of that church and of that movement claim to have authority from God that you must listen to them and scripture is subservient to them, then flee from that system. It is not biblical. Um, in Psalm 138 verse 2, um, David writes, I bow down b- towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. So notice here that God has elevated and exalted above all things both his name and his word. And so that is why we hold to sola scriptura because this is the only thing that God has given us by which we can be thoroughly equipped and be um, be completed as uh, followers of Christ. In Second uh, Peter verses one uh, or chapter one verse twenty, it says, "Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture came from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." So we see the sovereignty in the Holy Spirit in the inspiration of Scripture, <clears throat> and that it is not men's own interpretation, but it is spoken from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, the magisterial system of the Roman Catholic Church is giving their own interpretation. They are not given, giving uh, what is spoken by God as they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Only Scripture provides that for us. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, it says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So we should not add to the words that God has spoken, that he has breathed out for us. We are not to add to that. Okay, let's jump down to the the next sola. We have solus Christus which is Christ alone. And this doctrine teaches that the work of Christ alone um, is how we have peace with God. This is the gospel itself, (coughs) that Christ accomplished all of it, 100% of the work. When Christ himself, when he was hanging on the cross, and he said, it is finished, it's the Greek word tetelestai. Uh, Tetelestai, um, has been found on the end of um, uh, bills and documents of uh, receipt of funds and stuff. When a when a debt was paid in full, um, it was written tetelestai across it. And so the the term that Jesus used on the cross, it is finished, means paid in full, complete. The debt has been paid. Um, and this is why in Colossians 2 verse 13... Uh, Beginning at verse 13 and verse 15, it says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So notice here the work of Christ alone. Christ himself canceled that record of debt. He tetelestied it. He completed it. And he nailed it to the cross. When was our record of debt canceled? It was canceled at the cross. Um, 
and he is the one who completed it. He forgave us of all our trespasses, and he canceled them at the cross. Um, in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, here it's speaking about the mediation of Christ alone. There is no other mediator but Christ alone. It says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So there's only one mediator. There is not, Mary is not another mediator. There's only one mediator between God and man. And this is, this also falls into the doctrine of Christ alone. Now, most modern uh, Protestantism has adopted sola Christus to only mean that Christ is the only mediator. And that is not a full rendering of the doctrine of solus Christus. Uh, Christ alone involves all of his work, not just his mediation. Uh, for example, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In Hebrews 7.23, it says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in that office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever, speaking of Christ. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So notice here the high priestly work of Jesus in our salvation. He both offers a sacrifice which perfects us for all time, and then he mediates for those for whom he gave the sacrifice. And this is a complete work of Christ. This is a monergistic act of God. This is not a work that involves anything on our part. This is something that Christ did. He did this at the cross. He canceled our record of debt. He perfected us for all time. And he is at the right hand of the Father today mediating for us, and he is the only mediator. Um, the Holy Spirit comes in time and regenerates our hearts and grants us the gift of faith by which we then trust in the one who has completed our salvation. That is faith alone. Faith alone is in the work of Christ alone, and it is not a faith in human faith, but it is a faith in Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Um, he is the... In image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything that he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross so notice here that we have redemption through him and the forgiveness of sins through him that he made peace by the blood of his cross he is the one who accomplished all these things we don't add to it we don't add to the work of christ christ doesn't do 99 percent of the work and we do the remaining one percent 
He does all of the work. That is Christ alone. That is the doctrine of Christ alone. Not just his mediation, but all of his work accomplishes our salvation. We now go down to the doctrine of sola gratia, or grace alone. Uh, this doctrine uh, would teach that we are justified and we are saved <coughs> through faith by God's grace alone. God, by his grace, uh, did all of this for us. A sovereign grace. The Protestant reformers refer to a sovereign grace. Not a grace that simply made it possible and man had to, by his own free will and his own abilities, uh, complete the action that God made available. No, this is something that God accomplishes on his own by grace alone. If it is not the work of God alone, if grace is not free, if it is not a free act of God, then it's no longer grace. If it's dependent upon the human agent to do something in order for God to give him grace, then it is no longer grace. Then it is based upon works, an action of the human agent. So in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, sola gratia, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We go to the second chapter of Ephesians. And Ephesians here is, is the epistle of sola gratia. It is the epistle of God's grace. And we look here and beginning of uh, Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about our state before an action of God. It says, It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. Here, here God intervenes in our lives. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is the gracious act of God. By grace you have been saved. By grace alone, sola gratia. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. It's, it's God glorifying his own grace, his own act of grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not the result of works, 
so that no one may boast. There's no boasting before God. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If your view of God's grace and salvation uh, results in, you know, you're standing there in heaven by your friend Bob, and you both have believed in Christ, and you look over at Bob and you say, hey, hey, Bob, do you remember when we both heard the gospel? And uh, James heard the gospel too, but he, he's not he's not here with us, our friend James. You know, we, we believed. Um, you know, we, we made a really wise choice that day. Um, but James, yeah, he, he, he didn't do that. And, you know, we, we, we really did a good job. Good job, Bob. That's not the grace described here. Grace is the act where God, by his grace alone, by his own free will, we glorify the, the will of God as the one who is free in the act of salvation. Um, <clears throat> and so when we stand before God, just as the saints in the book of Revelation who cast their crowns before his throne because they know that they are not worthy, they were not more spiritually insightful, they were not more humble, uh, they were not wiser than the rest of mankind, just as it says in Ephesians chapter 2 here, that we were like the rest of mankind. We were children by nature, children of wrath. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive. By grace you have been saved. In Titus um, chapter 3 verse 7, so it says, So then being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So notice scripture says that we are both justified by faith, and then it says also that we're justified by grace. And that is because faith is the gracious gift of God. And so that is why Scripture can affirm both. Um, I want to briefly read something here from uh, Martin Luther's Bondage of the Will. Here, let me grab that volume. In uh, section 168, paragraph 2, um, Luther lays out here uh, in his argument against uh, Erasmus in what he calls the diatribe, um, he's, he points out that Erasmus has um, hit in his argument against Luther um, that he hit at the core issue that salvation was a gracious act of God, which is why Erasmus uh, wrote about the freedom of the will, and whereas Luther wrote about the bondage of the will. And so in section 168, beginning at verse, or beginning at, uh, in paragraph 2, it says, In this, moreover, I give you great praise and proclaim it. You alone, in preeminent distinction from all others, have entered upon the thing itself. That is the grand turning point of the cause, and have not wearied me with those Ir irrelevant points about popery, purgatory, indulgences, and other like babbles, rather than causes, with which all have hitherto tried to hunt me down, though in vain. You and you alone saw what was the grand hinge upon which the whole turned. This is sola gratia, the grace alone, the sovereign grace of God alone is what it all turns. 
and therefore you have attacked the vital part at once, for which, from my heart, I thank you, for in this kind of discussion I willingly engage as far as time and leisure permit me. Had those who have before, um, heretofore attacked me done the same, and would those still do the same, who are now boasting of new spirits and new revelations, we should have less sedition and secretarianism and more peace and concord. But, though, but thus has God, by instrumentality of Satan, avenged our ingratitude. So Luther here is commending Desiderius Erasmus for hitting upon the vital spot, hitting upon the thing upon which the entire, the hinge upon which the entire thing turns. And this is whether God is the one who graciously saves or if salvation is dependent upon the will of man. And so if your view is that salvation is dependent upon the will of man and it is the will of man that determines whether an individual is saved or not, then you do not hold to the Protestant doctrine of sola gratia. Don't call yourself a Protestant. Call yourself a uh, Anabaptist. Call yourself a Catholic, but don't call yourself a Protestant. Um, the last one we want to look at is uh, solo deo gloria, glory to God alone. This is the last solo we're going to look at, and this is falls into the passages that we looked at in Romans and in Ephesians, where Paul says that we have nothing to boast, and this is why. The reason we have nothing to boast is because all the glory goes to God. In Isaiah 42, verse 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So notice how God does not share his glory, um, the glory that is due alone to him. Now, we are glorified by being in Christ Jesus. But all the glory goes to God. We bask in his glory, but that is how we share in his glory. All the glory goes to God alone. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, Paul writes, So whether you eat or drink, and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All the glory belongs to God. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles, uh, this is in First uh, Peter four eleven. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory, dominion, forever and ever. Amen. And in Revelation one verse four, it says, "John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever all the glory goes to Christ all the glory goes to God in Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. All things are for the glory of God. God created this um, this world and this universe for his glory. 
Um, I, my, my little son, Jesse, uh, when he was very young, I taught him when I, I would ask him the question, Jesse, so why did God create the world? And he would say, for his glory. And that is exactly, it is all for the glory of God, to the glory of God alone. Okay, well, that is uh, today's episode on the five solas. I hope um, that was helpful to you. Uh, if uh, you have um, never maybe looked into those and delved into them, uh, hopefully uh, that solidified your faith in them if you already believed in them, and if you also maybe held to the position that uh, we as Protestants hold to the five solas and we have no scriptural justification for them, I hope uh, that you will rethink that uh, particular position. So um, thank you for joining us today. And uh, God willing, we'll be back next week and uh, we'll continue our series on the Anabaptists. Thank you and God bless. Don't you know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? And through Adam's 